This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're locking our creeping gaze on spine number 22 of the Criterion Collection, Summertime, directed by David Lean from 1955. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. Doing yeah. okay. This is uh, this is going to be the first episode under the uh, regime of Supreme Galactic Emperor Trump. So that's going to be pretty oh. interesting, I think. <laughs> you know, um, um, originally when we had uh, booked out our uh, episodes, uh, this episode was supposed to be RoboCop, which is set in a right. dark dystopic future. Um, but no, mm-hmm. no, uh, RJ, you've been a busy boy and it threw mm-hmm. it all off. So uh, to coincide with this, uh, we're watching David Lean's Summertime. <laughs> which I think is honestly maybe more fitting because I think a lot of people are going to feel the way uh, the main character felt in this movie. So, uh, yep, they're going to be riding that train. Yeah. Uh. No, yeah, that one's on me. I, uh, we, it was supposed to be the date, but hey, you know, sometimes stuff happens and you get mm-hmm. a little busy. You get a little busy. Yeah. Lack of commitment and disorganization, not planning properly. Yeah. All yeah. those fun things. But hey, uh, what have, what have you been up to? Uh, not too much. Actually, to go along with, uh, current events, I went to, um, I went to a charity auction on the weekend when I wasn't working on my thesis, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to see what some of those upper crust people you like to talk about got into, which is kind of fitting because it seems like they're going to start taking over the free world now, those upper crusts, because they've really been down on the dumps for so long. <laughs> taking it over again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a little background information, uh, my family business, Baylog Auction Services Incorporated, mm-hmm. Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Uh, we are a family-run auction service. Uh, 1980, 36 years strong. Uh, so we deal in cattle or like livestock, machinery, uh, land. But uh, for the whole time we've done this, my dad has always offered our services to charities and like fundraisers and stuff like that. So any like organization having a fundraiser, if they want to have like a live auction, we'll come and do the live auction for them. So this is just something we've always done. Uh, and so on the weekend, uh, I had a rare break from my school work and I went to a fundraiser uh, with a live auction for the local college and this is a very fancy deal everybody gets very dressed up it's a wine auction so most of the live auction or live items were like wine or alcohol related or trips stuff like that but everyone gets really dressed up and everyone gets really uh, they eat like a fancy meal and we've done this before and it's always gone really well however this year uh, they got some new blood in there uh, a lot of younger folk uh, like 45 to 55 is what I mean by younger because it's usually like 60 plus. So, you know, the people with money. And uh, so what they do with this thing is they get people really drunk so that they bid more on stuff. And yeah. like after dinner, they go around serving shots and stuff, which for like a 65-year-old guy is fine. He'll take like one and maybe he'll be a little bit more generous with his donations. But for all these like 45 to 50 type guys, they were getting really liquored and i saw some scary stuff i've never seen before so like um uh, like shunting almost almost uh so the way it works is my dad sells and then me and my brother go in the crowds and like take the bids and stuff like that if you've ever seen like an auction show it's similar to that but we're way cooler um mm. anyways so i was working my crowd and these people were getting real liquored and uh, because it was a wine auction they had a uh, little numbered corks for the draw like yep. they give away a free Rolex or something. And uh, so after the draw, which was uh, 
after the draw, all the corks were useless. So for about an hour of the two, the sale or the auction went for about two hours, 10 minutes for about an hour and like a quarter of that, uh, of the auction, my entire side was throwing corks at each other. Like they were just <laughs> dudes were whipping corks at ladies' heads, like fifty-year-old ladies. Uh, there was one table where all the women were uh, putting out their bosoms, uh, their breasts, their Bare breasts. They were putting out their breasts and squeezing them, and dudes were throwing corks in them. And I was like, "That's really weird." Uh, and then there was a guy going around holding up people's like bidding numbers, or like he would go to them and like hold up their hand. And he went to a lady right in front of me. She was holding on to a napkin and he grabbed her hand and he started whirling it in a circle. And he's like, she's bidding, she's bidding. And like, obviously, I'm not an asshole. So like, I wasn't like, okay, man. I looked at the lady and she's like, no, no, I'm not bidding. I was like, yeah, I know. And then she said that and the guy looked at me and uh, I, I swear to God, verbatim, he was like, no means yes. And then he like Ooh. rolled her arm around a little bit. And I was like completely wide eyed. And I was like, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this. So that's just a uh, this like I'll, I'll say this was a rare occurrence. Like like I said, my dad's been doing sales like these for this for like 40 years. I've never seen anything like this. So I don't know if there was something in the water that day or if it the was booze. like <laughs> no one was yeah. drinking water at this thing. Nobody was drinking water. I know, but we've done it before and nothing like that has ever happened. So whatever there must have been like one dude there who was just really rowdy and getting down in the drinks so that was interesting huh i thought i thought it was a fitting thing to usher in the uh the reign of the uh the one percent though so, uh yeah <laughs> and i say usher in like it hasn't been happening but you know what i mean i hear you Wow. Um, so, well, that's what I've been up to. What, what, what about you? We, um, well, I had first aid training this week. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Can you save lives? I, I can, po- I can uh, maintain one's life until actual EMS people arrive to like, Until death? Until the uh, actual people who know what they're doing show up. I can prolong your misery just a little wow. longer maybe. And then maybe uh, then I'll pass you on to the real uh pain and death uh, managers in this world mm-hmm. but yeah no i learned about uh poison and uh i learned about bee stings and leeches and uh, how to make bandage um geez mm-hmm. you name it oh we gotta work with a dummy for cpr got to work with a infant cpr dummy which Did looked like a diaper a, on uh nope it, it basically was like a little battle robot baby mm-hmm. um they had a little peen kind of peg it was a it was a, it was a peen peg uh, i had a butt oh. um and uh, yeah oh, no, it, kind of, it kind of looked like a silver surfer baby <laughs> oh gross yeah <laughs> but mm. uh yeah so i gotta do that and uh um, hey that'll come in handy when we hit the pizza hut buffet and i go into cardiac arrest <laughs> you'll, well you'll be able to stabilize me well yeah i mean hopefully for you i mean i don't know about the whole mouth-to-mouth thing the one thing i learned actually is that uh it's really not recommended that you do mouth-to-mouth with anyone without a uh, like the little like a mouth guard yeah. i didn't i never really thought about that because in the movies uh people are fake saving people's lives so they don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it and they're just like making out with other hot people uh in yeah. film so in real life though that might not necessarily be the case going mouth-to-mouth with i don't know like a a bum or like a, mm-hmm. a crack addict that you find uh, passed out on the road, yeah. which is like more likely the situation that your skills might come into play. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to just like pump away on their chest and mm-hmm. uh, wait, wait till help comes or until you're it always is like under line that uh, it's until you're too tired to continue, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is like, like well, 
I guess I've done all I can do. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> guess I'll die. Guess they'll, um, they'll die. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that's why EMS people have those fancy things that's like a big inflatable ball that they like squish and it has mm. a mouthpiece on it. So they don't have to do that. That's right. Also, uh, mouth to butt also works for CPR. So oh, it's a good thing keep that... that in your back pocket. All right. Well, it's a good thing you don't teach this class. <laughs> I teach other classes, other life saving classes. <laughs> yeah. Out of the alley behind the Pizza Hut. Yes. Fact. Well, me and uh, me and Hobo Hobo Joe, we got to do a lot of stuff back there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But hey, RJ, before we continue Yo. on, we have a piece of feedback. What? Yeah. I think it's a little bit long time coming too, uh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, this, we actually received this uh, two weeks ago. Holy uh, shit! Yeah, we we got it. I think just as we were uh, recording our last uh, creep, uh, Dead Ringers, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so Oliver Granger. Our friend, uh, friend he sent us. He, uh, he sent us this uh, brief little email here. I'll read. Finally caught up with Amarcard, so I listened to the episode. It was probably your best one yet, due to you saying Ooh. "sucking on big fat titties." Yeah. Um, although regarding Amarcard, like Andre LeBlanc, I was not interested. Ah, uh, delightful. Dissenting uh, opinions Dissent? here yeah. on uh, Amarcord. Um That's fine. Um, well, I, 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 this I, is good. I, yeah, it's good. I'm glad. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm open to open dialogue and discussion. Um, yeah. I wish I knew more about what was uh, not interesting about it, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this is good. Now I have someone mm-hmm. in my uh, my Fellini bashing camp. Yeah. So, <laughs> great success. There you go. Um, yeah. anyway, so, uh, Hey RJ, have you crept on yep. anything the, the, the last little while since, uh, the deluge of Halloween has it come yeah. to an end? Uh, well, my movie watching has crawled to a, uh, complete stop. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, I just haven't had time for that. However, at work I was doing a, a lot of, um, like microscope work. And for that, like I can listen to audiobooks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've done creeping in my own way. Uh, my own special way. So I actually burned through uh, two and a half books uh, in this last week while I was on the microscope. Uh, uh, how, how long were these books? One was 30 hours. <laughs> one was uh, one was actually only like two hours. And I'm halfway through, uh, I think, a 20 hour one. One was only two hours? What was yeah, that? I'll actually, okay, I'll get to that. So okay. uh, hot... <laughs> hot take or not hot take a hot update i finally finished the dark tower series oh yeah so i finished book seven of the dark tower um i don't have like a whole lot to say about it but i think because i talked about the other books i'll just mention that i finished it so um, just to clarify because i can't remember you've did you audiobook the entire dark tower so here's uh here's a really wonky thing i read i i read physical copies of book three and four okay all the other books i audiobooked okay uh, so the reason I did that was because I audiobooked book one and two, and I was like, "Oh, I really like this. I'll just get them to read." So I read okay. three and four, and then I and then uh, the movie was announced, and I was like, "Ooh, shit! I better speed up on this." So I I just burned through the last three, and I'm not counting. There was an an additional one he wrote after, but that's not like canon. So I'll I'll read that some other time. Right. Um. But no, it was pretty good. It just ties up all the stories. Uh. A lot of people die in it, which um, I guess is like Stephen King kills off his characters. Uh, I thought the ending was a little confusing. Hmm. Like there's something that happens in the end. And like that, like I get that. I understand what's happening, but I wasn't maybe it was because I was listening and I was working. I missed exactly like why it was happening. I don't really want to spoil it because it's like it's like the linchpin to the entire franchise, I guess. So it was kind of 
uh, it caught me off guard. I was like, ooh, that's kind of weird. And actually, before it ends, um, there's like a note from Stephen King. He's like, he's like, wouldn't he's like, maybe you guys should just stop reading. He's like, wouldn't the way I left it just be nice? It's like that would be a really good way to leave these characters. And it's like, if you really have to, if you got to find out what the Dark Tower actually is, keep on reading. And then that's when the real ending comes. Mm. So like, he kind of gives like a happy ending, and then he like. And then he like tells you to stop reading, but of course, like who's actually gonna stop reading? Um, and then he gives like this other ending, which, like I I thought it was fine. Like I don't have a problem with it. I was just kind of confused as to why it happened. Right. So I didn't do any research on this. So that's <laughs> tantalizing radio. But mm-hmm. uh, I just thought I would tell everyone I finished the Dark Tower series. So if anyone has any questions, you hit me up on my my line, three eight one zero four eight zero zero four. That's not a real number, but that was what the Mike Jones song was like. Do you remember that Mike Jones song? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, so anyways, the second book that was like two hours uh, was uh, from your buddy Clyde Barker. It was the Damnation Game. Oh, really? You know what, yeah. what I just got in the mail for a dollar? The Damnation Game? Yeah. No shit. Um, so this wasn't an accurate depiction of the book because I didn't know this going in, but it was a teleplay. It wasn't an unabridged reading like so i've i've done this a couple times and sometimes it's really good like i did a world war z a couple years ago and it's like um it was like a full cast like every character was different and they were like reading their parts individually like it didn't play out like a book but i think that's how the book is supposed to be but uh ooh, there you go that's a nice shiny copy yeah um one dollar one dollar i love me that abebooks.com you can find all the sweetest deals because like in the states they ship stuff for like a pound plus like shipping so it's like at most you'll pay like five bucks it's amazing well maybe they uh maybe if they're listening they can reach out as i cover books a lot on this show it'd be a great sponsorship Mm -hmm. be a great sponsorship but yeah so i did that and it was a teleplay so it's like and acted out reading so characters are just reading their lines and stuff and then they kind of describe what they're doing so it's like not actually like a strict uh a strict translation um and it was all right like i think some stuff gets lost in the teleplay but it was kind of just like a faustian like yeah char- a wish master scenario like uh, <laughs> yeah screw wish- you christopher Marlowe. we're uh we're wish master people here <laughs> We're wishmaster folk in this town, yeah. yeah. So, no, it was fine. Um, I don't really have anything to say about it. I just thought I'd mention. But the third book I started, which was really good, and I'll probably finish it next week, was uh, from Everybody's Friend, uh, the original Neil deGrasse Tyson, Carl Sagan, and that was Contact. And oh. uh, I've actually, so I've only ever seen bits and pieces of that movie. I've, I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. And when it came out, I was pretty young, so or younger, so I don't really remember it that much. So the book has been a delight uh, because everyone knows I fucking love aliens and it's all about aliens. And it's actually uh, the book details a lot of science stuff. And as I'm finishing my my uh, run here, I, I appreciated it. She talked they talk a lot about like how hard it is for women in science. And I'm like, I hear you, man. I hear you, sister, because I, I feel your pain, even though it's way easier for me a, a white male in alberta but still i the point is <laughs> the message gets across where it's like yeah grad studies is kind of weird sometimes oh. or the system system the system yeah so uh yeah i'm uh, into contact and i dig it wow 
Well, uh, that would be great if this was a book podcast called, like, I don't know, The Random House Rapists. But uh, this is a Criterion Creeps movie podcast, RJ. So I'm going to eventually. But, hey, I'm here to turn this ship around and turn it back on the course with talking about movies. Not necessarily, but they're not really Criterions. Um, But Mm -hmm. um, since we last spoke, and it's been a while, folks. We actually legit haven't seen each other for a week. Mm Yeah. and, uh, yeah, so I continued on with my Jess Franco exploration, which you can hear mm-hmm. about more, uh, in the ghoul school specials from in October. And, yeah. uh, I rewatched a movie, which actually was the very first Jess Franco movie I ever watched called Lorna the Exorcist, which, hmm. um, in hindsight was a terrible, terrible idea because, uh, that movie is like really, it's advanced studies, Jess Franco. Uh, you have to like really uh, understand where he's coming from, I think, to really appreciate that movie. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you just watch it and go, "Why am I watching pornography? <laughs> what what's going on? Yeah. Why are there crabs on that woman's vagina? Ugh. Why why is that girl having sex with her father?" Jared. <laughs> but See, hey. this is why I need to break up your the filth that you watch with my good fr- family friendly Carl Sagan books. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Uh, So yeah, Lorna the Exorcist. Um, So now I'm about like 22 Francos deep. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I think I realized I built up like a a way of figuring out how his movies operate. And so I rewatched Lorna and this movie's great. Uh, It's right up there with Female Vampire, uh, another Mm -hmm. uh, JFD classic. Um, I would not recommend it to uh, the vast majority of people. But mm-hmm. if you're into Franco, uh, eventually you can maybe watch that movie someday. One of the Exorcist, folks. That's high praise. <laughs> it, it's also, hey, it's also got Fausti yeah. and Pax. And They're all Fausti and Pax in all, one way or the other. That's right. Everyone wants to be Wishmaster. Fucking right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, getting us back into the Criterion Creeps mode, since we'll just be doing these mm-hmm. for a long while now. Uh, yep. I got watched me another Charles Bronson movie. Ooh yeah! Watched uh, a little film called Chino, uh, aka Valdez's Horses, Valdez Ooh. Horses or something like that. Uh, sounds dope. Yeah, meh. it's a pretty man movie. No, uh, huh. no, it's like it's so it's the last of all the movies that he made with his wife Jill Ireland. It's the last one mm-hmm. that we hadn't watched, and so we got around to doing that. It's just a kind of generic kind of guy who's raising horses. He's like half. Uh, Indian, so of course he runs afoul of all the white racists in town whenever he visits. Um, yeah. He kind of hits it off with the local horse baron's sister, half sister, mm-hmm. and they begin a relationship and they're going to get married, but the racist white people aren't going to have it and they're going to run him out of town and burn his stuff down, even though he raises the best horses around. Um, sure, he does. And then uh, like every time there's a confrontation, Charles Bronson just beats the shit out of people, which all sounds cool, but mm-hmm. it, it, that only really happens like three times in the whole movie. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's like not much to recommend. Like at this point, I'm pretty well like kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, I think, of the Bronson films. Um, since like undertaking my Bronson explorations, I've watched 41 <laughs> Charles Bronson movies, and there's probably mm-hmm. like another like 
20 or 30 different things I could watch, but a, a good chunk of those are all like minor roles or like his like latter day 90s stuff before he died. Like movies like Family of Cops and stuff that I'm just like, I have right. zero interest in watching these things. Um, so yeah, I'm getting close to just the end. It. Uh, it'll happen, but not at the same rate that I was going uh, even this year where I watched, I think I'm up to mm-hmm. 12, 12 Bronsons <laughs> this year. I think the two, 2014 was like 22. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my my Chuck Bronson numbers are breaching 300 at the for the month. So okay, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what your excuse is, but uh, anyways, facts, well, Max. I look forward to hearing you delve deep into the the bottom of the barrel. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so then uh, we watched a sci-fi film called Ooh. Outland, uh, directed by Peter Hyams. Mm-hmm who's directed movies like uh, 2010, the sequel to 2001 uh, that, that no yeah. one demanded. Uh, movies mm-hmm. like, um, what was it called? Contact? Cap- Capricorn One, the like moon landing conspiracy movie. Um, yeah, he's, so he's, I don't know. Anyway, so Outland is a movie uh, starring Sean Connery as a space cop. Uh, he, he's uh, been recently transferred or started a job uh, on a moon of Jupiter where they are mining mm-hmm. uh, titanium. And, of course, uh, also there is Peter Boyle, who's the general manager of this mine, who is uh, fostering a drug trade where all their workers are allowed to work and do as much drugs as they want because everyone gets money and high. But the problem is that these drugs are dangerous and miners are going crazy like uh, going out onto the surface of Jupiter or like decompressorizing and splattering all over the place. Um, yeah. And Sean Connery's got a, he's, he finds all this out. He's, he's on the case. He, he tries to break it up. And then like, I don't know, he kind of does, which runs afoul of the corporations, which are evil. And then they send some hitmen, like two dudes that are like the most unassuming, boring guys imaginable. And then it turns into high noon uh-huh. in space. Ooh. Um, so I think any movie can be improved with the, uh, the finishing lines in, in space. space. That's right. Um, so this movie's okay. Uh, it's got really great practical effects, uh, mm-hmm. which is always uh, greatly appreciated. Um, mm-hmm. Sean Connery doesn't like bug me as much as he usually does in movies. Um, right. but I don't know. It's just okay. There's the whole like last half is kind of, or not maybe like last half hour is him trying to kill these two uh, hitmen that have been sent to get him before they kill him. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I don't know, it's pretty underwhelming because it's literally just these two guys and the setups are like pretty tortured. And then, I don't know, it's, there's not much to a lot of the staging and it's nowhere near as violent as it should be. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I don't know you, if you want to like show guys getting exploding and stuff like that, go all out, go do, do, do what total recall does do what Paul Verhoeven would do will be discussed mm-hmm. next week um so yeah outland is okay um yeah. my friend Corey, he loves this movie a lot though i think he's got a lot of mm. nostalgia for it um so i don't know that's only my opinion that it's fine but does uh, it have any dope aliens in it no none it's it's like not really like it, it's like a realish like science fiction movie like it's just like oh uh they're all like blue collar guys which is also actually a nice touch it's kind of in that mm-hmm. alien line where like everyone's just like workers working for the plant they're not like great yeah. he- heroes they're just dudes doing a job like going up to the oil fields or whatever and doing stuff like mm-hmm. that um so that that was a movie um we mm-hmm. followed that up that night uh with a little film called phobe the 
oh god what's this tagline of it the xenophobic experiment um mm. so this movie does have aliens rj um Fuck yeah so this movie was shot on video in niagara falls ontario canada mm. uh by a couple of people who just had some cameras and uh some paint uh paintball gear and some laser mm-hmm. Uh, laser uh, was it laser tag gear and uh, yeah. they, they decided to they were going to make a, a remake of like a movie like The Hidden or uh, Terminator where mm-hmm. uh, an alien or whatever some sort of overpowered force comes to earth and runs afoul of some humans and then there's chases um, this movie stars a fairly large man uh, with a with spiked hair and a mullet who kind of resembles a nasty boy from wrestling um, with fingerless gloves. Oh, and I thought, he, he's the hero. Yeah. Uh, and he's there uh, to stop this alien creature called a phobe um, mm-hmm. that is there to like lay some eggs to make more phobes. Um, and of course this uh, alien run or catches up with the leading lady who's just, I don't know, looks like she could be a housekeeper at a motel. Mm-hmm. Um and they go, I don't know, there, there's a, there's lots of chases and uh, running around Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, some really awful uh, optical effects added uh, decades after the fact, because this was all made in like the 1992, 1993. Um, right. And this aired on public access uh, in Niagara Falls, I guess. It's, um, it's a credit to filmmaking spirit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, it really like, if you're like, really want to know what Canadian this is, like that, the hoser accent and like hoser mm. dress and delivery, this movie's all about that. Um, okay. if you're familiar with like Fubar, this is like that, but like Ooh. legit, like it's like unintentional. They're not playing it up. They're just like, nope, this is what these people are really like. Um, I would like that. I like Fubar. Yeah. And aliens. It's like aliens and, aliens. and Fubar all wrapped into one little package. Man, that sounds really good to me. Yeah. What, what is the movie called it's again? Called I, Phobe, the Xenophobic Experiments. Um, mm. it, it was uh, the DVD was released by Intervision, uh, which is like a sublabel of Severn, uh, mm-hmm. which is which does good work, and uh, they also put out uh, another uh, great piece of Canadian crap called Things, which is a movie that I've been uh. threatening to lend you for you to watch with roommate Scott uh, and Andrea, because I think you mm. all three of you will greatly enjoy Things, because it's it's something, it's something. Things. Yeah, I don't. I've never trusted you, though. That, you, you you fooled me twice, so never again. Okay. Yeah, but uh, this faux movie sounds super dope. Yeah. Uh, because I <laughs> so, love aliens, and I yeah. think I do think Fubar is super cool. So, uh, hey, uh, just to interject for a second, you know what really sucks? Hmm. Uh, if Hillary won, she was going to declassify Area Fifty One files. Oh, and I really doubt Donald is going to stick or make good on that. So, no, you know what? What? Maybe the people who take care of those files knew she was going to do that. And it was a huge conspiracy. I mean, government does deny knowledge. The Mm. truth is out there. (laughs) Those are all models I made up by myself. Speaking of alien cover ups, (gasps) uh, I watched a documentary. Uh, from Adam Curtis, uh, mm-hmm. a uh, British filmmaker, called Hypernormalization. Yeah. That uh, actually at one point touches upon the whole thing about like aliens. Um, oh and, it, and it God. touches upon the fact that the there's this idea that the government intentionally put out 
information that it was aliens to mm-hmm. basically fuck with people and lead them away from the fact that they were just developing uh, secret weapons. Mm-hmm. And that's what they, they actually were active in, like, disinformation and putting out that it was aliens. And then, like, there's, like, the one story of, like, a next one of these, like, um, proponents of, like, UFOs. And then he was told afterwards by, like, someone that worked at the airbase saying, you know, we were just fucking with you, right? It's just a small anecdote <laughs> in uh, this wider, like, this two, almost three-hour-long documentary about um, kind of the state of the world as it is. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of hard to, like, have you ever watched or heard of Adam Curtis or his documentaries? I've heard of him, but I don't think I've I've ever watched any of his stuff. If I have, I've forgotten about yeah, it. Yeah, so he's yeah he's been working like at least for about twenty years. Like his whole gimmick is that he uh, kind of delves into like the uh, BBC's access to like mm-hmm. all footage. Like they don't have to pay any rights for music because they pay, play like a they pay one flat fee a year, and so he can mm-hmm. kind of do whatever he wants, which kind of gets him in trouble as far as distribution goes. Like it kind of it can air but it can't be really sold. Um, Years ago, his like the first thing I ever watched of him was was this thing called power of nightmares, which was kind of exploring the like uh, trajectory of of nightmares, the power of nightmares. No, uh, the the growth of like neoconservatism and like, uh, like uh, jihadist Islam. And uh, I mean, uh, there's the one magazine McSweeney's, they put out their DVD series uh, Wolfen and they actually included all three parts of those. And then they had to pull them because like, there's like, they violate like, uh, film rights or like whatever music rights mm-hmm. in uh, the United States. So they had to yank it because of the use of music and not being cleared. It's a whole yeah. thing. But anyway, so Adam Kurtz, a uh, really good editor and finding a footage and finding really strange relationships. Um, his biggest strength is his uh, ability to kind of like go through the genealogy of ideas, like kind of track an idea from where, where it originated with that person, tell mm-hmm. their story, tell the context those ideas came about. And then those ramifications of those ideas, which are always unintended ramifications, uh, and how those things are enacted now in a current kind right. of thing. So hypernormalization, uh, I thought was pretty good. Uh, it's probably one of his better documentaries. Um, his last one he made called Bitter Lake was kind of a mess. It didn't have like the uh, coherence I like with his earlier stuff. But uh, if someone's interested, definitely mm-hmm. check out uh, The Century of the Self, which I think is absolutely amazing. I think about it all the time. And uh, Power of Nightmares is really interesting as far as like a look at like how – uh, the relationship of like uh, America is to the Middle East and how it, it's like even it's gone so far beyond when that documentary has been made right now and hypernormalization mm-hmm. just kind of is about now and touches upon little like tidbits about and this of course came out like two weeks ago so before Donald Trump uh, won the presidency uh, just like what a strange character he is and his and kind of at that point like even his successes in becoming like mm-hmm. the Republican candidate. Right. Um, so I chased that with uh, another documentary called Tickled, um, which I believe is actually a New Zealand documentary. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had kind of like heard various things about this. Like I saw it popping up because a lot of people were kind of like complaining that it doesn't seem to like jive and like there was like talk about uh, references to catfish. Um, but mm. uh, I didn't think that. I don't know. It didn't like the, my bullshit meter didn't really go off too much of tickled. Um, just yeah. to recap what it is, is it's about a journalist who kind of just like apparently one day stumbled across these tickling videos, like all these like yeah. fit young men who like, were just like tickling one another. And he's like, what is this? And then, so he like started pursuing this and then he got a lot of pushback from the company releasing these like really mm-hmm. hostile, homophobic, like gross emails. Ooh. And so he of course like got, became more interested 
because he's like, well, that's unusual. Um, And so it kind of just documents the whole process of his investigation um, and just how strange and dark this like tickling federation is um, Mm -hmm. involving like tickling cells in the middle of like, I don't know, the rust belt and like just the taking advantage of young men and this blackmail. And um, it almost starts going into like, uh, like, uh, like that Robert Durst, like the jinx territory, <laughs> like where it's just like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's like nothing you can do about this. It's just like, imp- like, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, it's totally up my alley as far as just like scummy sleaziness and exploitation uh, in our world. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, tickled's good. Um, yep. And, I've got, I, I watch a lot of movies, so I'll, I'll try to summarize these ones quick. Uh, sure. I'll skip this other documentary called Holy Hell. Uh, I watched The Ghost in the Darkness, RJ. Ooh, fuck yeah, that movie rules. I'd never seen it before, and yeah. it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just say before you talk about it, because it's been at least 10, 15 years since I've seen it. Yeah. That, that's, uh, there's a few movies that whenever I'd go to my grandparents' house were just in constant circulation. There was The Ghost in the Darkness... Uh, Turner and Hooch and uh, I'll think of some others but those are the two that come to mind right now so Ghost in the Darkness was always fucking on and the same with Turner and Hooch so I hold those two movies like very dear. High regard Um, yeah you know what's funny actually Mm -hmm. one thing I forgot to mention on her Dead Rinkers episode was uh, uh, Chanel had mentioned that like one of the few like videotapes that like her mom had like around Mm -hmm. when she was growing up was Dead Ringers (laughs) (laughs) That's I, don't, a little... I don't know how much play that got, but it's just like, oh, this is in our possession now. And yeah. I, I think like her grandma had like a copy of like Driller Killer. <laughs> Ooh, like, yeah, geez. it's like random stuff. It's just like, oh, we have that now. But anyway, so yeah, Ghost yeah. in the Darkness. Uh, I remember uh, when it came out back in 96, it was just this movie that was like, oh, it's got like these two actors in it. And mm-hmm. I don't remember the word of mouth being particularly good one way or another. And I knew I had no real interest in it because I'm like, Africa, what's that all about? And mm-hmm. um, so I came up on some like underrated 90s thrillers, gems list I kind of seen. I was like, oh, Ghost in the Darkness. I am totally down in watching that now. And watched it, and yeah, it's okay. Like I'll like never think about this movie ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much of a fan you'd be of this movie. It's got like some animal killings. <laughs> oh, I I know s- simulated, so, but uh, but I mean, mm-hmm. man, I was just always like I was like kind of pissed because like uh, I'm I'm not near on the the RJ scale of animal cruelty. Uh, yeah, tipping it off for me. But man, I I really like baboons and like uh, our chimpanzee and monkey friends. I think mm-hmm. they're wicked. And this movie just like uses it, uh, a baboon's bait, and I was like really like oh come uh-huh. on. Come on. Yeah, stuff stuff like that really sucks. And I, that's why I was saying, like, I haven't seen that movie in, like, 15 years. Yeah. Whereas Turner and Hooch, I watch on the regular. So I know that movie holds up as a mm. five-star fare. Yeah. Um, but, no, I haven't seen Ghost in the Darkness in a long time. I just – it's one of those movies, it's like, that was always on in my grandparents' house. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, so, uh, the one thing yeah. I'll also want to throw there – so this movie, uh, it's like <laughs> – about halfway through it, Michael Douglas finally shows up and yeah. he's got just the goddamn worst like Southern accent I've ever heard because he, he just magically drops. And I mean, this is a movie where Val Kilmer's playing an Irishman. And so his yeah. accent comes and goes, but it's never as like obvious as Michael Douglas who just like, he has a very distinct voice. Like he mm-hmm. sounds like Michael Douglas. And so when he starts stalking like a Southern man and it's like, what in the hell is this? Cause like then yeah. I started realizing when I was watching it too, I'm like, I don't think Michael Douglas is 
ever been in a Western. And he hasn't. Like, the closest no, he's been yeah. to a Western is Ghost in the Darkness. Like, because it's, like, at least in the era. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, you can do worse. Yeah. I, uh, you, no. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But I don't know. Movie's just kind of there. Um, it's sort yeah. of a, a relic of its time. It has, like, some good gore. Like, it's got some surprising mm-hmm. violent bits to it. But uh, the, the compositing's, like, not bad. It's not CGI lines, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then reading about the real lions and how like their carcasses oh. still are on display, like in Chicago, where they got shipped. Because I guess like after uh, what's his face killed them uh, or caught their mm-hmm. bodies anyway, uh, he was using them as rugs for a long time. Um, Jesus. And then they got donated on, and they they're still around, and they're weird looking lions too. Like cause the real ones um, that they actually that were the ghosts in the darkness, they had like they didn't have manes, they had like little mohawks. Mm-hmm. They're like unique yeah. to that area, which is so they went. They didn't go that down that route. They just used your typical lions, and us us North Americaners are none the wiser. <laughs> so right. Ghost in the Darkness. Well, it sounds like I wouldn't like this movie anymore. So yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep it in my memory and just never revisit it. Perfect. Uh, two last ones I'll talk about. Uh, Wiener Dog, new film by your boy Todd Salons. <sighs> what a pile of garbage! Let me hear about it. Uh, what can I say? It's I, of, I mean, Todd Salons is a pile of garbage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you you won't like this movie either. Uh, yep. m- mostly down to, well, how much do I want to say about this? Spoilers, people. This I is don't a, care. This is, yeah. a, this is a new movie, um, so people might care, but I'll just go into what it is. Uh, the movie's kind of like uh, Robert Bresson's All Hazard Balthazar, where it follows uh, the ownership of this little wiener dog through owners and it basically it yeah. starts off with a child it goes to a like millennial teenager to a middle-aged man to an elderly woman um, okay. So it starts off with the kid who's a child that's actually going through cancer treatment. And mm-hmm. you get this earnest little kid who just doesn't understand the world, but like really loves this dog and calls the, and simply names the dog Wiener Dog. Um, okay. The dog is like fairly benign throughout these stories, uh, other than like in the first story where he's uh, fed a granola bar and just proceeds to like vomit everywhere, which is pretty, uh. pretty, it's funny. It's played for gags. Uh, and then there's just, I don't know. Then they just wind up, I don't know. The dog gets passed on. It's depressing because uh, yeah. it's taught Solomon's movies, but like it doesn't like go to near the places that like his earlier films go to, like not even remotely. Until yeah. until the end, I suppose. Um, the second story, uh, we catch up with the character of Nancy Weiner, uh, the main character of the film Welcome to the Dollhouse. Uh, now here, played by oh god, what's her? What's the actress's name? Greta uh, Gerwig. Yes, Greta. Yeah, I, I, yeah her Francis Ha. So she <laughs> yeah. she plays herself. Uh, uh, Kieran Culkin. He plays the other Brandon, he plays the Brendan character from welcome to the dollhouse. They're all grown mm-hmm. up and she goes on a road trip for some meth, meth, some whatever meth, to, meth goes Damn. on a ride with her dog. Um, that story I don't really get. Oh, there's people with down syndrome who are married. And, uh, of course, of course uh, I don't know. I don't really, I don't remember much about that one at all. Uh, the third story stars, uh, good old Frank Reynolds, Danny DeVito. 
uh, who's a uh, struggling scriptwriter and uh, now film uh, professor at a university. Um, And I think that's like probably one of the better stories because he's a schlubby man and you get like a bit where like some young kids are complaining about how he probably watches things like Curb Your Enthusiasm and Woody Allen movies, Um, which I think it's like, yeah, those are the things that are like really unpopular right now, which is just like fucking bullshit Mm -hmm. because Woody Allen in his prime was like the best and uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is awesome. So there's that story. And then the final story is with uh, Ellen Burstein as an old woman. Um, David Mamet's daughter Shoshona from Girls she shows up as a piece of shit with uh, her uh, boyfriend named Fantasy um, yeah. and you get this like that story's got uh, it's the end of it but you get two little bits that I think are dynamite uh, this is the spoiler territory where um Actually, no, the first one doesn't matter. You just see this like woman like looking on it, like all these variations of herself as a young girl and all the directions she should have gone to. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, and then this other bit is when the wiener dog goes running off into traffic and run down by a semi-truck. And then you just mm-hmm. like, hold, the, hold, the camera just holds as the dog's remains are on the road. And then more cars just drive over the animal's body. It's like, uh. Uh, I, I don't know, the whole movie, I was dreading when this dog was going to die somehow because you knew that something grim was going to happen. Um, yeah. But it, I don't know. I thought it was like really funny because it was so mean, like intentionally mean. Um, and then yeah. you get like the money shot of all, which is a uh, art installation involving a reference to the goddamn dog. And I just like thought that was hilarious because it's so stupid. Mm. And um, yeah, people hate the shit out of this ending, which I don't know. I it's like, well, welcome to Todd Solon's baby because this is like pretty well in line with what he does. That's his gimmick. So Where, I thought when are this- they gonna. I, I thought Sorry. this movie was just like not nothing special. I, I've been pretty mm-hmm. cool on Todd Solon stuff since like his uh, the amazing Welcome to the Dollhouse and Happiness. Uh, ever since then, his films have just progressively kind of gotten like more and more uh, sticky. And like it's the same thing mm-hmm. with him over and over again. He doesn't really evolve as a filmmaker, but I don't like dislike watching his movies. Yeah. But they're not for everybody, apparently. I think Todd Salons is a piece of shit. There and I don't think I'm ever, I'm probably never going to watch another movie of his. So that's my <laughs> hot take on Todd Salons yeah. for you. Um, and so finally, uh, I watched The Face of Fu Manchu uh, mm. from the 60s there, starring uh, Christopher Lee in Yellowface. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this movie is boring. It's not very good. Uh, it's a slog. Um, the, only re- the only reason I'm watching it is because it's the first of a, uh, five films with Christopher Lee as Fu Manchu uh, because Jess Franco directed four and five, which I guess now I should probably watch them because they're on the radar, but I won't be watching two and three because I don't care that much. Uh, Mm -hmm. But anyway, that movie really, really let me down Fu Manchu. Was Chris Lee cool in it though? He's whatever. He's just Christopher Lee and stuff. There's nothing like he doesn't, he's not, he's not, he's not bad, but he's, he's not like, really elevate the material in any way other than you can go, huh, look, it's Christopher Lee is, is, a, right. is a Chinese ghoul man. That sounds so cool. Okay. So uh, <laughs> that's a, that's enough for uh creeping. Hey, RJ, Ooh. what news do you bring to us? I got a little bit of news for you. I'll go. just rail through it real yeah. quick though. Uh, well, since uh, I have been covering the escapades of the dark tower series, this is a little bit old, but uh, the dark tower movie was going to come out in February and it got delayed till the summer. Um, they say it's for they need more time to work on the special effects, which is if true would be super cool. I don't mind when stuff gets delayed because I think ultimately it means they're just putting more into it unless it's just really a big piece of shit and they just don't know when to put it out. But I think this movie's too big for 
something like that. So mm-hmm. Dark Tower got delayed. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then uh, your buddy Brett Easton Ellis, author of American Psycho, Less Than Zero, uh, The Canyons, the movie because you're all about movies uh, with Lindsay Lohan and some porn stars. Uh, he was quoted last week uh, saying that Ben Affleck's Batman movie is a real piece of shit. Um, he says he has dinner with fancy Warner Brothers executives all the time. And all, all they talk about is how bad the script is and how the movie is horrible or is going to be horrible. But the executives don't care because it's going to make a lot of money. And then uh, everyone ganged up on Brett Easton Ellis and said, hey, maybe you're a piece of shit. Uh, maybe you don't know what you're talking about. And then, uh, so that was about a week ago too. And then within the next, or within the following days, a lot of people affiliated with this Batman movie, like Joe Mangaliano, uh, whatever his name is, uh, have been saying how great the script is. So uh, who knows who to trust anymore, Jarrett? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of information and misinformation, deception, mm-hmm. disinformation, never forget that mm-hmm. one. Um, yeah. Disin- who, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always the, it's, we'll wait till the movie comes out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then just one last thing I thought was really cool, isn't news, but uh, Nick Cage said that Batman vs. Superman was excellent. So uh, you heard it here first. Nicholas Cage thinks Batman vs. Superman is a good movie. There you go. And Nick Cage knows what he's talking about. And that's my news rundown for you, baby. My, uh, a friend of mine watched that Army of One movie. Uh, they said it was really good. That's what I've been hearing. Yeah, they they yeah. like that wacky uh, Nick Cage. He gets he gets yeah. mis- he gets miscast. I think a lot. People don't know how well, to use him properly or play to his strengths. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before, but uh, roommate Scott has a pretty pretty dope theory that Nick Cage is just a super good actor, but he just doesn't really know how to say no to stuff. So oh, he, he ends well, up he, being... he he can't say no because he needs money. Yeah. So he, he can't say notice things, so he gets put into these bad movies, and he's just like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah. But uh, there's enough proof of his raw talent in good movies, so I hey, like Nick Cage. Well, do you remember Nick Cage's uh, uh, sterling performance as Fu Manchu? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was awesome in that too, see? So he's yeah. following after Christopher Lee. And that was also directed by Rob Zombie. Ooh, uh, hey, that's another Rob Zombie f- film I can check off my box. I got three now. Yeah. Oh, no, four. All, all one minute of it. <laughs> all one minute. Hey, that's the best minute he's ever made. That's right. Um, yep. Yeah, so uh, I have one little piece of news I want to share. Uh, mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London remake is coming down the pike, and uh, apparently it's being brought to us by RJ's favorite filmmaker and internet provocateur, Max Landis. Um, so I think this is the first time in at least like American history where a son is remaking his father's own film. Um, you know what else? It's the first time. It's the first time a piece of shit made a pe- another piece of shit and is going to remake a piece of shit. Is that really the first time that's ever happened? Come on. Get off. In, Come on. Come in, on. In the direct line. Um, no. <laughs> do you have anything more to say about this? Because I have a few um, things to well, add. Well, other than like, let's see here. He signed on to direct a remake and uh, apparently Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead uh, fame, he's producing mm-hmm. it uh, with another show executive, David Alpert. Um, 
I don't know. I guess that's about all I'll say on that matter, because otherwise it's just a weird press release, and who knows what's going to happen in Hollywood, if this thing actually will be made or not. But, RJ, uh, I know you're not a fan of American Werewolf in London, um, and I'm pretty cool on it. Like, I don't really feel strongly about it. I don't think it's a great horror movie. I think its reputation is overblown, other than, like, a couple, like, that awesome weird sequence uh, with, like, weird werewolf Nazi zombies bash coming into the living room mm-hmm. everything else is just kind of there um but yeah max landis i don't know why he thinks this is necessary i guess people could do a lot of mind reading about like mm-hmm. uh i don't know oedipal complexes or something like that but yeah who, i yeah <laughs> yeah who knows uh i think it's really funny uh because so like you said i don't actually like this movie but i think it's really funny that max landis is doing this uh, so it'll be the first time directing i think unless he's done some small stuff so hey maybe he'll be good at that but uh if he is writing it i know for sure he's a bad writer but uh, i think it's really funny because as i've said before i think he's like an entitled entitled little brat and when uh, his last two movies came out and they like tanked like victor frankenstein and uh American Ultra or whatever. I remember he was like on Twitter and stuff complaining about how Hollywood doesn't support original ideas and stuff like that. So he he goes on talking about all that shit and he's like, well, I guess I'll just remake my dad's movies if that's all people want. Mm-hmm. And plus, I think original ideas. Frankenstein's been around for fucking like a hundred years. There's like over two hundred Frankenstein movies. So I don't know why he thinks that's original. Um, well, I guess it's whenever, that's all everyone talks though. Everyone's like, no one likes original ideas, but all they make are superhero movies or whatever. Like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. People in Hollywood are kind of (laughs) dumb. Yeah. Well, I, they're dream makers though. Yeah, exactly. I think like this news is like super obvious. And at the same time, it's like, I could care less because I don't like either of those two things. So fuck whatever. (laughs) They both suck. The only, like, there's two scenes, or there's, I think the only thing I like in, from American Werewolf in London is there's a scene in, like, the subway, and there's a really long shot from the top of the stairs, and then you see the werewolf coming at the bottom of the stairs. Like, well, I saw that, and I was like, ooh, that's really good. That is the only thing that I took away from that movie. Everything else, I'm just like. It's no bad moon. It's no bad moon. <laughs> if people go back to our ghoul schools, if they don't know what we're talking about, we have uh, reached the decision that bad moon is probably the best werewolf movie ever made. Yeah. However wrong that might be, it's true. It's true. It's yep. got the best looking werewolf in any movie. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but but a horrendous transformation scene. That's Amer- yeah. American Werewolf in London's got, got you beat bad moon in that one spot. In that one spot. Yeah. But hey, anyway, I think that's their news. So, there you go. hey, after the break, we're going to be celebrating summer in November.
does things to me. Yes, this is Venice. Captivating, enchanting Venice. The world's most beautiful city. An inviting place for lovers. Here is one man who should know, for this is his home. And here, at a cafe in the Piazza San Marco, is where it all began. That one completely unforgettable summertime we have all known. This was theirs, Jane's and his. And it started as casually as this. I don't know what your experience has been with American tourists. My experience has been that the tourists have more experience than I. Jane arrived with three pieces of luggage and a heart full of dreams. How naive and unrealistic they were. But when she understood that life can never be quite like you dream it, their real happiness began. Why did you do that? Why? There are others whose lives touched theirs, who will always remember that summertime in Venice. Signora Fiorini, who liked some of her guests better than others. Eddie Yeager, the American artist with an eye for beautiful women. Among them, his wife, Phil. Little Mauro, who could worm the gold out of any tourist's tooth. Oscar, lady? He made one mistake with Jane. He told her a lie. It almost ended their romance before it began. Perhaps it should have. But the lady was not so angry. She thought that very well. And we're back, and things are about to get hot. Woo! Because we're talking about Summertime from 1955, directed by David Lean. A little rundown of the story. Jane Hudson, played by Katherine Hepburn, a single middle-aged elementary school secretary from Akron, Ohio, is on her summer vacation and enjoying her lifelong dream of a, of a vacation in Venice. She is set up as your typical gawking, flustered, overwhelmed American in the old world for the first time, running into a veteran, ugly American elderly couple, and are met by the landlady of the house she will be staying at, along with an American painter and his wife. The first half of the film sets up Jane's journey around Venice and serves as a showcase of the beautiful architecture and city of Venice and its various canals. She continues to meet. Uh, she continues, continues on her uh, merry way through the city. She meets a street urchin named Moro uh, who likes to fleece uh, chump tourists, and he smokes like a chimney. Uh, mm -hmm. In this time, we see the sad Jane looking around her, all by herself, looking on at other couples. And at uh, one cafe, she feels the predatorial eyes of one Italian man checking her out, and she quickly skedaddles. The Ooh. next day, while shopping at an antique store, she finds out that the owner of uh, that antique store is the same creeper from the previous day, a guy named Renato. Uh, the meet-cute continues around some red glass goblet and her coming back to pick up a pair for it. Uh, she goes back the next day and is bummed out to find him not there. But he seeks her out later that night and confesses that he's got the hots for her. 
Uh, uh, he uses all his pickup artist tactics, gets a date out of the deal until the old couple shows back up at the the house she's staying at, and they show off a pair of very similar-looking goblets that she paid uh, a price for, thinking they were antiques. Uh, Jane's a bit perturbed by this. Renato uh, might have swindled her, but apparently old designs, coincidence, blah, blah, blah. The two go check out a concert. They get some flowers, and I guess they are in love now. The next day, Jane gets gussied up to go hang out with her Italian boy toy, but she winds up meeting with Renato's assistant, who then turns out to be his son, and oh, he's also married. She lays this all out to the American painter's wife, who says her and her husband, who have been having problems too, what a great coincidence as painter dude is banging the landlady. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. He's married, but unhappily, get over it, lady. Let's bang. They bang. Everything is pretty. But hey, Jane has to go back to America and has to make that decision to go back and leave her boy toy behind. But will that transpire? Will they meet at that train station? <sighs> will they? Uh, no, they don't, kind of. They they do and they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, Orjay, mm-hmm. um, have you ever traveled to Venice? Not recently. Okay. Not um, ever, for that matter. <laughs> have you have you ever traveled alone? Uh, yes. Yeah? I have. Where have you traveled uh, to? Not in, mo- <laughs> well, in commutes, I suppose. Um, when I, my first year of university, I moved to Colorado and I did a year there. And oh. the first four or five days I was there, I was, com- I moved into the dorm early and uh, I was the only one there for about like a week. So <laughs> does that count? Uh, I, not, uh, not in my mind. Cause you kind of went to a place to like live and to mm-hmm. like actually go for a task, not so much like to travel and tour on your own. Okay. Um, well, n- not on my own then. I've always had either like Andrea or like my dad or brother or something. So mm-hmm. I guess never on my own. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's like a very strange alien thing to me. The idea of like mm-hmm. traveling without like a specific purpose. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I don't know why I thought I'd ask that, but uh, RJ, sure. what did you think of Summertime? Hey, Jarrett. Yeah. Did you know that Catherine Hepburn uh, wore trousers before it was fashionable? Oh, I think I did know that. Fuck off. How did you know that? <laughs> um, I don't know. It kind of comes up. I, well, because I always think of her. It doesn't uh, matter. Did you ever watch The Critic? Do you remember The Critic? Uh no. Okay. Is that the Jay Sherman from yes. The Simpsons? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So before The yeah. Simpsons, he had his own show on ABC, and mm-hmm. his so his mom is Catherine Hepburn, <laughs> right? And so that's like always like or it was like a parody of her, but yeah. So that's like that was my introduction actually to Catherine Hepburn. If you want to jump mm-hmm. on ahead, um, sure. But okay. So RJ, what did you think of Summertime? Okay. So I just wanted to leave with that lead with that fun little note there. Okay. Uh, so as we discussed last time. Um, personal life has gotten in the way of my movies and I was really dreading this because I just didn't have time. And I suspect that people would think I would not like this movie because uh, it's just like a slow, sad movie. However, I think I'm going to surprise people. I actually enjoyed this movie. Uh, I didn't think it was amazing, but I enjoyed watching it the whole way through. There's a few slow parts, but I think on the whole, I actually really liked it. Um, well, I think RJ. It's really, yes. I am going to throw this in there. I think this Uh-oh. is the worst movie we've watched so far in the creep. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, here here it comes, baby. I'm going to lay it all out for you. Okay. So, actually, actually, you start. Great. Oh, no, no, no. You, uh, I don't know. Okay. 
I'll start, I guess. Okay. Um, sure. I popped this movie in and yep. after like two months of watching horror movies, this movie yeah. was quite the shock to the system. The upbeat music that's just used <laughs> in that score. Uh, the title card is just like, yeah. holy crap. Look, it's color. It's like blues and yellows. And it's like, man, this is crazy. Like I haven't seen these colors in so long. Um, yep. Everything I usually watch are like black and flesh colors and browns and mm-hmm. red. So uh, there was that aspect that like immediately made me go, whoa. Um, so yeah, uh, t- on, I guess like, okay, mm-hmm. this movie's amazing looking. Um, sure. it's, it like, it looks great. The technicolors are like, just, they just pop off the screen. Uh, Venice is a very nice looking city. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, uh, I was reading like David Lean actually wound up having his second home in Venice. He loved it so much after making this film. Yeah. Um, and I guess this is also, uh, David Lean's favorite of his own films, which is hmm. kind of crazy considering he's the man who also made the bridge on the river Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. Ah, and uh, yeah, and he's he actually has about we have about four more David Lean movies uh, to watch in our Criterion Creep if we ever make it all the way down. Uh, actually, we'll be watching uh, two of his movies in uh, about like two months because uh, he, he made two uh, Charles Dickens movies, uh, Great Good Expectations, stuff. and uh, something else. <laughs> Oliver Twist. That's it. Oh, so okay, we'll, wait, we'll, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be watching more D Lean. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I only watched Bridge on the River Kwai like a couple of years ago. Uh, I had just like never seen it and I watched that movie, uh, and it's really amazing. And Lawrence of Arabia, I actually got to see in theater, uh, a little mm-hmm. while ago on a rewatch. And that movie is also amazing. This movie cool. is just like, I don't care about <laughs> anything in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. so let me just go through some facts. Uh, sure. So the screenplay uh, that David Lean and H.E. Uh, Bates, H.E. Bates uh, wrote is based mm-hmm. on a play called The Time of the Cuckoo by Arthur Lawrence. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's, that's a play. <laughs> There's like, yeah. it's, it hasn't been really gone back to very often. Um, like it's kind of like, it's kind of fallen out of favor and I can kind of see why. Um, so the one thing that was like really annoying to me for the first like Forty-five minutes of this movie is it came off as a Venice tourism movie, where it's just like lots of longing, panning shots of the architecture of Venice, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, and it's just like this doesn't seem to like be moving forward at all. Like it's just like, hey, looking at Venice, which is fine if you're like, I guess, invested in Venice, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a place I've never been to, and I don't plan on ever going um, for right. fear of um, red cloaked children um uh so yeah i don't know uh let's see here this movie really had a lost in translation vibe to it that i think mm-hmm. like obviously lost in translation didn't invite and invent that at all like i'm pretty sure that this is like a trope of like a uh, person being in a strange land or and like not speaking the language and kind of being on their own and then on top of that being a, like lonely uh it's right. been around so that kind of was there for me in the back of my mind um but there came a point that like I just kind of stopped taking notes in this movie um like mm-hmm. cuz it just turned into exactly every romantic comedy not even comedy just like romance story I've ever seen and it never it doesn't like do anything with that um right. it's it's sort of like the sure. the framework of that told well i guess like or not even told well just told generically uh with this like amazing backdrop it, like visually it looks really good but the story like i i could care less about uh the jane character i really like 
didn't give a crap about Renato, her uh, her her uh, <laughs> yeah. her uh, Italian lover. Who I've later on, I've got uh, his his fucking dialogue written down. But Jesus Christ, he's he's just crap. But yeah, he's um, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so there. So that's kind of like I don't know where am I? Where am I at? Location. Yeah, the location and all that stuff's good. But yeah, this story story wise, this the story in this is like dull. And I'm mm-hmm. all about story, folks. In case you haven't figured that out yet. Um, sure. I don't know, man. There's just like not much for me to like sink my teeth into, even like in talking about this. I mean, uh, I I remember years ago I watched uh, David Lean's Brief Encounter uh, film, mm-hmm. which we'll be obviously watching in someday down the road, and I just was kind of like pretty underwhelmed by that too so i don't know if it's just something about like david lean's taste and subject matter like these conventional sort sure. of stories and the way he decides to tell these stories that just like don't appeal to me at all like they're just not movies that i want to watch um there's mm-hmm. not a lot there for me but yeah i don't know uh but you you could go on and tell me what you really liked about this movie because sure uh, i guess I, I thought you might have been on the same page as me but i'm curious what you got out of this no, uh, yeah. So, um, like, I I totally thought you wouldn't like it. So it's not a, it's not in Jarrett's wheelhouse, as mm. some people would say. Yeah. And I that's why I, I I said too. Like, I think people would have probably expected me not to like this because all I talk about is like movies with abs and farts and butts and stuff. Right. And it might have been the time I watched it. Like, um, again, nobody cares. But like, I, I've been really busy, so like, I hadn't watched a movie in a week. And it was at the end of a long day, and I was like, oh, I'm, I was like dreading watching it, but it was just easy watching. Um, so, what I like about this movie, and it all comes down to one thing basically, is Catherine Hepburn's sadness. She's hmm. so sad in a lot of scenes, and I feel like it. I feel it captures it so well. That's why I like it. And hmm. I'll start. I'll start by uh, reaffirming some of the things you said. The intro when it started, I was like, oh god. Like, cause it's like, and you're just like, like you said, after watching like horror movies for a month, you're just like, Ugh. like, I guess some people might be like, Ooh, refreshing. Yeah. Um, when the first 10 minutes, uh, so I watched this with Andrea in the first 10 minutes, she's like, Holy shit. All of these characters are so fucking annoying because it's like, <laughs> cause Catherine Hepburn talks really weird. Um, That's, it's like, eh, see, yeah. what are you going to do here? No, yeah, that is Catherine um, Hepburn. And then all the other characters, like, so she meets that old couple and uh, they're like super just like loud and like nasally, like, hey, what are you doing yeah. in Venice? So like yeah, they, all they, that stuff. Yeah, they are the, uh, they are the ugly Americans. That's kind yeah. of their role uh, being obnoxious uh, tourists. Right. So all, all that stuff is like super annoying. And um, like even like you said, like the story, there's not much to it. Like I guess maybe in 1952, it would have been a little bit more scandalous for like 55. a dude who 50. Oh, shit. Well, OK, 55. A dude who is like um, basically divorced, but has like hey, a mistress. Hey, RJ, it was scandalous yeah. because trivia from Wikipedia itself. Upon seeing the completed film, production code administration head Jeffrey Sherlock notified United Artists executives the film would not be approved because of its depiction of adultery. A particular concern was the scene in which Jane and Renato consummate their relationship. 18 feet of footage was deleted and the PCA granted its approval. The National mm-hmm. Catholic Legion of Decency, however, objected to a line of dialogue that was, final, that, that was finally trimmed and the organization bestowed the film with a B rating, designating the film morally objectionable in part. 
So this, yeah, that makes this, sense. This, so it's like the idea that this movie was upsetting uh, is crazy, I guess. <laughs> well, see, that's what I mean. Like, so I, I actually had a little bit of um, a separation from that, or n- not in a bad way. I was like, I okay, I can get how like sixty years ago this was probably like a hot, like a hot subject. Like now it doesn't Saucy. matter. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was saucy. So, like, I was fine with that. Um, but anyways, the point – so the part that I really liked is I think the – like, I can't remember what her actual name is, like the character's name. Jane. But Catherine Everton, Jane. Jane Hudson, I she, think, yeah. Her life is so sad that I just, like – not I connected with it, not because like I think my life is sad, but I was just like I really sympathize for her. Like there's scenes where that scene where she asked like to go out with those other people and they're like, Well, you could come, but you'd kind of be like a fifth wheel and she's like, Oh no, yeah, of course. Like I don't I don't need to come and then just kinda shows her like sitting like leaning back so they can't see her and she's just really sad. And then she sees them later and like she's by herself, so she feels awkward and like makes it look like someone is there before they like walk by and then they walk by and don't even notice. But then the dude she likes walks by and sees that the seat's taken and then keeps walking. And then like in that instant, it's like in dead ringers. I never talked about this, but so in that instant you see like such sadness in her face. It's the same as in dead ringers when uh, the lady like confronts the twins and then like she goes to walk away. And then uh, the one twin, like in an instant, Jeremy Irons face just completely collapses on itself. And I think I think it was the same with this. Like maybe not as strong as Jeremy Irons, but I got the same feeling from that. So hmm. I really like that. And there was a line at the end that I thought was just awesome, uh, where she's talking about like why she has to leave and stuff like that. And she's she's like, all my life I've stayed at um, a party, or I've stayed at the party too long because I never knew when to leave or something. I really connected with that for some reason. So take that as you will, but. Um, what I liked about this movie was that it, it seemed like it was constantly raining shit on this lady and like, not like not, not in a mean way to her. I was just like, mm. I feel like I, I sympathize for this lady, even though it wasn't like that bad. It was just, I guess she is kind of an alcoholic in this too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually I like that too, because <laughs> if I, if I was just in Venice alone, I would do the same thing she would do. Mm-hmm. I just hang out and like drink it yeah because it's like she goes to the place and they're like would you like a like a spritzer or something she's like i'll take a bourbon <laughs> and i'd be like yeah because i looked at andrea and i was like yeah uh, and uh but she like didn't pay attention to me which is probably good because um because who would yeah, who would who would but um so that that's like what i liked about it i thought that was good and then i thought a few of the other things he did were was good he didn't he doesn't nail them but i think he shows like the crowds really well so it's like she's like alone in the crowd and then it'll go to a scene where everything's empty so i think i think it's not like it's he doesn't nail it it can be done better but i think it was a it was good enough like you know what i mean sure yeah i mean like there's like there's like i mean the biggest accomplishment for this movie is definitely like it's like the way it's shot it just looks amazing um Mm -hmm. like there's a bit where like i think she's like moving through a corridor like a hallway kind of thing and it's just like um, stunning like it's like holy crap like Mm -hmm. one of the one of the big notes i made here was like this would probably look amazing on a big screen like this is a Mm -hmm. movie that like you could just watch like in a theater and it would like bump it up so much i think for like my own uh i guess enjoyment but mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, definitely that. But yeah, I guess for, with the sadness thing, I mean, I guess that ne- never really happened for me. Um, yep. It just That's never, fine. like, I never really felt that bad for her. Because in some ways, mm-hmm. I'm kind of just like, 
I don't know. I guess like the dick in me kind of makes it was like, well, you're just this like, you're a school secretary who like big goal is to travel mm-hmm. to Venice on her own. I'm like, well, so what? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely not like that type of person. I'm not friends yeah. with people like that. Um, they, they're usually pretty boring people. Um, mm-hmm. sorry, secretaries of the world. I might be insulting. So whose who's only I, goals in life are to travel to places on your own. But like, you mm-hmm. being like a, I don't know. I know a lot of like, like hairdressers and stuff like that are just like that too. And I'm just like, oh, that's like not like really a like great life. I mean, I don't know. Maybe my life probably isn't that enjoyable for other people. Or it's like, I'm just going to sit around October and watch horror movies yeah. like for like hundreds of hours. Like, so be able to go, that's really depressing and shitty. So I don't mm-hmm. know. But for me, uh, I just found that like I just was kind of like I was kind of indifferent to her plight of being yep. I don't know it's like every what I assume a lot of like romance novels are is like uh, it's for like an audience of people who are like think they're sad and their life's crappy and they 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 make these romantic situations involving yep. Italian men that they meet and they're so interesting <laughs> but like in the story they're not yeah. interesting like I don't give a crap no. about these boring assholes like I don't know mm-hmm. like Catherine this is like uh, I mean I've watched a couple of uh, Catherine Hepburn movies this last year um, like a movie called Stage Door and uh, rewatched like Bringing Up Baby. Yeah, and she's wicked in those movies. Like she's super good. Mm-hmm. Like she's like obviously that's why she's Catherine Hepburn. But in this, mm-hmm. she kind of like was doing it, but it didn't seem like she had. She was quite the right. I don't know. I didn't buy her as this sort of like dumpy secretary on her own in Venice. Yep. Like I, she was dressed that mm-hmm. way, but then like she gets gussied up, and it's like, oh yeah, no, there you go. Yeah, she, yeah. that's right. She's a movie star. <laughs> it it would be like if current day, like if there was a movie that had like uh, Emma Stone or Scarlett Johansson or uh Kate Blanchett and it was like they played him up as being like real dumpy but then there was a scene where they came out and they're like oh <laughs> is that what you mean like kind of um, I mean like, okay I, well, I don't know it's just like there I think I think now you could actually like we have the technology RJ to like dumpify yep. women maybe better than this like whereas this is like mm. oh look she's wearing like a a, a, a dump a dumpy dress and that's it but mm. she's like still like she's not super glamorous but she's still like I don't know she's still Catherine Hepburn um, well the only movie <laughs> that ever nailed that was she's all that so I believe that is a future criterion pick uh yeah I'll have to check on that yeah um, um no I think though like I, I agree with you. Like, that's fine. Um, we don't have to agree on it. Early. Oh, no. We don't I, have oh. to both like every movie. Hey, but I, I do I, think I, like I understand why you don't connect with the sadness. Yeah. I is mean, because you are a horrible person who yeah. likes Todd Salon's movies. And, and, and his, his take on sadness is humorous. And and also, uh, I, I prefer the sadness of oral sex vampires. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I find so, sadness um, in that. But no, yeah. I uh, It's like I said, like, I, I connected with the sadness, not in like I'm not a I'm not a 40 year old woman who has never done anything and then traveled to Venice. But for whatever but, reason, but I was like, be. yeah, I get it. I might be one day. I, I surely will. Be Maybe you are day. right now. You don't. Know <laughs> I'm about halfway there. I'm yeah. I'm halfway there. But uh, um, no, I don't know. I, like I I I liked it. So no, it's like I said, cool. there there are parts of the movie that I didn't like for sure, like okay. especially the annoying people oh. because you know I hate annoying people. Oh. Um and there were points where like like I was saying, the way she talks, sometimes you're just like, "Ugh." I was like, don't wonder- do that. Yeah, I was kind of wondering how you'd handle the uh, Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. Um I think if uh she was in a different role where she wasn't trying to play a sad person, I think it would really get to me like Put her in Sid and Nancy, and I'd probably hate that too. Oh, um, that sounds wicked. <laughs> but uh, I think Carrie Grant is Sid Vicious. 
Yeah. Oh, God. No, uh, Humphrey Bogart. Passing no, actually, Cary Grant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's who I meant. Yeah. The guy with uh, the learning. Bogart. Well, it could be Humphrey Bogart. They're both in an African queen. Her, uh, yeah. Him and uh, old, old uh, Catherine. Kate. Yeah. I don't understand how they are or the way they talk, the way they talk. Yeah, but, uh, that's one thing I don't think I've heard anyone say. African, African queen missing heroin addiction. <laughs> On a, but on a boat. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say, though, I think there's a scene in this movie that perfectly describes you and my take. There's a scene when she just gets to Venice and she's like looking at the water and she's it's like, oh, so beautiful. And then someone from up, upstairs dumps a bunch of garbage, throws garbage out their window into the water. So I'm I'm her on the ground and you're the dude throwing the garbage. Wow. There you go, right, right into that, into the, into the Venice Channel yeah. thing, whatever. Uh, yeah. So here's my, uh, my big money quote um, mm-hmm. from Mr. Renato De Rossi. Um, you are like a hungry child who is given ravioli to eat. No, you say, <laughs> I want beefsteak. My dear girl, you are hungry. Eat the ravioli. <laughs> mm-hmm. I seriously uh, like. I don't know. I had kind of like phased out. And then there's like yeah. that ex- the, the exchange where he's like talking to her to like have sex with them and like to be okay with the fact that him is he's married but it's not mm-hmm. a real marriage and I just like what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I I'm really glad you brought that up because I didn't make a note of that, but Andrea laughed so fucking hard at that, and for like a day she was like beef steak, like. <laughs> You want beef steak? Like, oh man, that was so funny. And then you go eat the ravioli. <laughs> eat the ravioli, a beef steak. Um, yeah, that's really funny. Uh, my quote of the movie: uh, It's not as good as yours, but uh, other than the one I really liked about staying at parties, I thought it was really funny when that fat old American dude was like, "They're talking about art," and he's just like, "Truth is, I don't understand pictures. I have bad feet." <laughs> like I was like, what? I was like, that's such a weird thing to say. Uh, I thought that was good. Really funny. That's pretty good, yeah. actually. I missed that um, one. Uh, and then I'll I'll just make one more thing. I wrote a note, and uh, I can't remember at what point this happened, but uh, I wrote a note in my book, and it just says Italians are sex criminals. Oh, so, yeah, I didn't. I didn't need to watch this movie to know about to that. To know that, yeah. yeah. I think that's a funny thing too. Like when she encounters people, she's like so like her nervousness is so suggestive of like the impending doom that all the men in Italy are about to rape her. That's what I. Maybe that was something that. That's just how I interpret Italian men. But uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is very, very um, suspect. Yeah. So, no. That's kind of like. Um... When I've like talked to people who have like traveled to Europe and like they, they've mm-hmm. made those stops uh, to Italy, I often hear about like the creepiness of uh, the uh, Italian males um, in their uh, wolf whistling and like following like blonde mm-hmm. women around, and it's just like oh, yeah, and you don't you don't get you get that kind of beat out of you for the most part uh, over here, but uh, yeah, they it's, all, it, <laughs> I don't know. They also <laughs> cast their daughters in movies and get have make them have nude scenes for no reason. So uh, thank you, Dario. Thank you, Dario. Uh, I'm never going to watch that Stendhal syndrome movie that you're talking oh, about. That yeah, sounds yeah. way too creepy. Yeah. That's a perfect time to bring that movie up, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful looking movie. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is okay. And, uh, I mean, every time I looked up, I saw something that looked great, but the story is just nothing too interesting at all for me. Um, I will never watch this movie again, which is a strike me against either. it. This is something that I weigh against with uh, watching these movies. It's like, well, I watch this again. And, like, you know, I started, like, 
looking around for mm-hmm. like what what's the praise for this movie or like why like I have a hard time figuring out why this is in the Criterion collection. I have this feeling mm-hmm. that it must have been a trade off for like maybe one guy's like, hey, we're gonna get Dead Ringers and Robocop in here, and then there's the guys like, well, come on, you guys gotta put summertime in. I really like yeah, it, yeah. and so they okay slotted it in between like these like like weird like strange sex thrillery things and like just onslaught mm-hmm. of ultra gore violence and they're like and here's summertime which sorry folks it's just mm-hmm. not for me um so yeah this is my first thumbs down i think in our creep mm-hmm. um i mean i think like walkabout is like it's as weak a film uh for like different reasons but at least that movie yeah. i find constantly interesting and like it had like i guess viewpoint that i found interesting if at the times repulsive mm-hmm. but i mean i just found this movie was like a pretty unimaginative love story of like the american and a european country learning sensuality <laughs> it's just like <laughs> oh it's so terrible it's just, oh. man that happens every day with me though uh, yeah you're, you're always learning about that uh european sensuality <laughs> uh yeah where um, have you been man uh Jeez. not in the right places i guess um, nope. so yeah, you know what? Here's an interesting thing I did discover. What's that? This movie has absolutely no fans on Letterboxd <laughs> of no every, way. of every single film we've watched up to this point. The, the minimum is five fans, I think. And I, I checked wow. this. I looked through, I checked every single movie. Um, yeah, this movie has zero fans, which I think is telling that, like it's just like a movie that like is there, uh, completely. Like the only reason like anyone probably watches it is if you're mm-hmm. either a big David Lean fan, which there's like I mean whatever for the sake of completion you'd watch it. He didn't make that many movies. Um, yeah. You're a Criterion collector, so I mean that's mm-hmm. kind of like the job of the Criterion to bring movies I guess of significance as they deem uh, significant to people. And if you're a Catherine Hepburn fan, like those are like th- I mean those are three pretty good reasons I guess to check this movie out. But I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this movie's kind of a, a weak sister entry in the uh, greater uh, works. Um, sure. Even like, yeah, sure. like looking ahead, like there's some really good stuff coming up. Um, yep. And this movie's kind of like an odd one out. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I totally. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that I had like been mainlining like weirdo Jess Franco movies and horror stuff for Probably. a long time. And then I don't know. Like, I just don't think I could ever care about this story too much. Like, it just, I don't know. It's just sort it's of. It's not there. for you, Jarrett. It's not for me. It's not for you, um, man. Oh, hey, here's here's another uh, piece of great trivia. Um, also hot from Wikipedia. In one scene, the character of Jane Hudson falls into a canal when she steps backward while photographing De Rossi's <laughs> shop in San Bernaba de Venezia. Leading mm-hmm. lady Catherine Hepburn, concerned about her health, was disinclined to do the stunt herself, but Lean felt it would be <laughs> obvious if he replaced her with a double. He filled the water with a disinfectant that caused it to foam, which added to Hepburn's reluctance, then required her to film the scene four times until he was satisfied with the results. That night, Hepburn's eyes began to itch and tear. She eventually was diagnosed with a rare form of conjunctivitis that plagued her for the remainder of her life. Oh my god! So she that got poor so, woman. So she made she got pink eye and had it forever. Hey, I got the uh, thanks summertime. Is, thanks, David Lean. Holy shit, that's amazing. Um, I had a. I can't even believe that. I had a um an allergic uh, uh like a uh, case of conjunctivitis a while ago and it is 
the worst. So I can't even like I know Pink Eye is like way gooier even. So it's like yeah. it's like for for this fucking movie that it's like if you pull up her uh, page, it's not even the top four. So it's like, man, I feel bad for you. Yeah, and she got like bullied into it by David Lane, that jerk. Yeah, what an asshole. Get, get, in, like, the, get in the water. Get in the goddamn water. Get in the water. <laughs> Oh, it's more, but I guess he's British, so get in the goddamn water. I don't know. Fuck. Oh, oh man. Get in it. Get in it again. I can't believe he did, made her do it fucking four times. That's well, unbelievable. Hey, man, it's about cinema, man. You gotta get the right shot. Jesus. Well, um, yeah. I feel bad. I I sympathize for her, man. Like that's really shitty. But hey, RJ. Yo. Who hated this? Uh, you, I guess. <laughs> I don't even, I couldn't even say I hated it. I was just like, yeah. like hugely indifferent to it. Um, so I'd say maybe it's not the worst film we've watched, but it's definitely the least lesser of the films we've watched. And yeah. that's, yeah. Okay. So half star from Daffy of, from May 8th Ooh. of 2013, really bad movie. The female <laughs> character can't stop whining and crying. It's depressing. Most of all for a female viewer. Fortunately, the Venice setting was enchanting, but that's the only positive thing I can find about this movie. Ellipsis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's sad. Uh, okay. Here yep. we got two stars from yeah. David L. Ehrlich. Uh, mm-hmm. David Lean's worst? Gorgeous from head to toe, start to finish, but I can't recall a single compelling thing that happens here, though Lean, as always, sure knows how to shoot the shit out of trains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is accurate. Yep. Uh, and uh, another one here is num- uh, Two and a Half uh, by Hans Millet. Uh, basically just a beautiful postcard of Venice featuring Catherine Hepburn and a creepy gray-haired Italian guy who sleeps with middle-aged American tourists. Also contains one of the strangest why-you-should-sleep-with-me speeches in film history. The word (laughs) ravioli is used more than once. Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. (laughs) As as discussed on our episode of Summertime that you're currently listening to. Uh, Please refer back to uh, our episode of Summertime if you are wondering where this ravioli stuff is coming from. That's right. That's great. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Hey, any last thoughts on this year thingamajig? Nope. No, No, uh, I agree with you. I'm probably never going to watch it again. So uh, at the time I watched it, I I guess I was just in the right mood. Would you you recommend people check it out? uh, It would depend on the person. Okay. I w- I w- if I had watched this and you were like, hey, how's summertime? I'd have been like, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. There's not enough dogs getting run over and, you know, and, and just people sex doing vampires. Home. Or, yeah, stuff Pe- like that. People being whipped and beaten in dungeons. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if my aunt was like, hey, what's a good movie? I'd be like, hey, you should check out Summertime. Yeah. That's actually a good point. This is the movie you could yeah. throw to the parents uh, of the movies yeah. that we've watched and be like, yeah, this is cool. It's no Dead Ringers. Mm-hmm. No one's mutant vaginas investigated with uh, crazy apparatus. I would still recommend that first. I'd be like Dead Ringer, Silence of the Lambs, Salo, and then Summertime. Salo. <laughs> ah, good times. Well, folks, times. I think that's it for Summertime. And after the break, uh, well, it's all just uh, prologue to RoboGob.
RJ, are you ready to head back into November? No, not a chance. I don't want to ever go back to real life. Oh, sorry, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm excited for next week. Yeah. Uh, Well, hey, you can follow us on Twitter in the meantime at Criterion Creeps. You can email us at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com. We get lonely over here. We've got a Facebook Mm -hmm. page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. You can follow us at Jared Duncan and Barnloaf. You can see all the hot inactivity on uh, RJ's page. You can see all the (laughs) obscene amount of activity on mine. Uh, We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Follow, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. I think we've got our schedule pretty well figured out now going forward for the next while. We're going to be doing shows on uh, recording on Wednesdays. And uh, as God is my witness, I will be getting them posted on said Wednesday. And hey, next week on Wednesday, spine number 23, a film called RoboCop, directed by the mad Dutchman Paul Verhoeven from 1987. RJ, will you buy that for a dollar? I buy that for a dollar. I buy that for two dollars, buddy. Yeah. um, I'm so fucking jacked for this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's always a good excuse to uh, rewatch RoboCop, so I don't know. I think this is probably a movie that some like loser Criterion fans like. Why is this part of the Criterion collection? I I but, always uh, bring whenever I bring up explain what Criterion is to like my family or whatever. They're like, "What is this Criterion thing you're doing?" I'm always like, "They do movies like this, but then they also do movies like RoboCop." So I'm I'm so fucking jacked. Hooray! Woo! Yeah, cool. All right, well, folks, that's it. See you next week. Woo. Done and done. I'm just gonna do Ric Flair woos at the end of every episode. You, oh, you gotta do a little bit more like masculine woos. Woo. <laughs> no, I'm a Vic Flair. <laughs>